is as great as that. What other name for the sake of the sick, the fatherless, and the weak will be able to help, will be able to lift up? There is no name in the politics of this world. There's no name in the leaders of this world. There's no name in the people in this room, the people in this city. There's no one on this planet who can bring the strength the power and the grace and the forgiveness and the salvation that we so desperately need other than Jesus. And I think about Pastor Charles talking about how we get callous to the good things. And if we sing about the great name of Jesus and we're not moved, we know something's wrong. We've become callous to the greatest thing in the universe. So God, move in our hearts, stir in our hearts to love you and to have affection for you and to see the greatness of the name of your son, Jesus. Amen, church? So, let's go now boldly before the throne and to find grace and help in a time of need. And we all are in a time of need every single day. So let's go there and pray to our God. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your forbearance. And God... We will always fall short of giving you the honor that you deserve. We'll always fall short of seeing the greatness that is in Jesus. But God, I pray that you'd be patient with us. I pray that you would help us. I pray that now this morning, I know there's someone here, someone truly in need. Someone who's really, really being beaten and battered by the world. Maybe their own sin. Maybe they're even hearing the lie of hopelessness in their situation right now. God, I pray that you would calm our hearts and bring peace that passes all understanding and you would help in this moment this morning. You'd open our minds to be able to receive truth and you would change us, you would renew us, and you'd help us. So God, we pray all of this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, West Olive. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, uh, I want to direct your attention to our banners on the wall. We've referred back to them several times, and I want to bring our attention back to it. You see the first one is transcendence, God's presence, and you'll see the arrows going up and down. And when we started the book of Ephesians, we saw in chapters 1 through 3 that God is the one who's done everything for us and given us everything, and in Him, through His power and through Jesus, we have salvation, we have adoption, we have great things in Jesus, and He does does all of the work and we reap the benefits from it in faith. And Paul knew the importance of praying for the Ephesians, the importance of us knowing these things, remembering these things and asking God to open our eyes and enlighten the eyes of our hearts to remember these things is very important because there's a phrase we've been repeating. And that phrase is a changed heart by God will bring what? Change life for God. Now, a changed life for God means a heart has been changed. And so when we started chapters, started in chapter 4, we started seeing these exhortations. We started seeing these commands. We started seeing this life manifested. And the first lesson we talked about is, is the need to walk worthy as a Christian. And we're seeing a contrast between the way we're supposed to walk, the manner of life that we have, and then we saw last week the contrast of the old manner of life. Turn to Ephesians 4 with me. I want us to read, starting in verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 4, Pastor Charles talked about our new normal. In verse 17 of Ephesians 4, let me remind us, says this, Now this I say, 
and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or we heard last week, as our American culture does. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So we have this huge, huge exclamation point. You must no longer walk this way. And before he was talking about how we should be walking worthy, walking in a manner, our lifestyle in a manner that's worthy of God and what he's done for us. A lifestyle that shows that God has changed the heart. But he gives this break and he says, listen, but we cannot walk like we used to. We can't walk like the rest of the world. We must not, we cannot, and I would even venture to say we will not if we are saved. We will not if we are saved. So now there's this big transition we're about to get into. The question I ask then is why is it so crucial that we as believers no longer walk this way? Why is it that we should walk worthy and not as the Gentiles do? And that's what we're going to get into. So I want to, I want to uh, warn you a little bit. We got a lot we're going to talk about. Um, I don't have the conventional outline here today because this passage doesn't need the conventional outline. You have a blank piece of paper. You write down what you think is necessary. But I'm asking us all to sit on the edge of our seats to dive in and really pay attention to what's being said here. Very, very crucial stuff. And I'm going to even tell you this. I want to pique your attention because this is a very, a very well-known portion of Scripture that most of us apply wrongly. And I will even say I've taught it wrong most of my life. Starting in verse 20, here's what Paul says. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. When he says, but that is, he's referring back to all the descriptions of the things that he said about the Gentiles or about unsaved people. Pastor Charles pointed out that here's the description of unsaved or Gentiles or those who are godly of the world. They walk in the futility of their minds. Nothing there darkened in understanding. What does it mean there? They have no light. They're dark to being able to even understand the things God. They can't understand truth. It says they are alienated from the life of God. They don't even belong to God. They don't even have life. Life comes from God. They don't even have it. They're aliens to it. It says they're ignorant. They lack knowledge. And why? Due to their hardness of heart. And then it says they're callous. To both good and evil like we learned. And they've given themselves up to sensuality. Living according to the flesh. Living according to what feels good. Living according to pleasing themselves. And then it says as a result they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And in verse 20 Paul says that is not the way you learned Christ. What does he mean when he says that? In other words, he's saying this. That is not the way you heard the gospel and believed it. When he says learned Christ, it's not just factual knowledge. It's not just, well, you heard 
about Christ. He's not just saying that. He's talking about an experience that was deep that happened. It's a deep knowing. It's, it's an experiential personal knowledge. He's talking specifically to the Ephesian believers who they, he knows that they heard the gospel, believed it, and were saved because he was the one who taught it to them some five or so years ago before he wrote this. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. That's not what you learned at the point of salvation. And so it's very important to know that we are talking and Paul is talking to believers, to Christians. Christians. And he's pointing out that we can no longer walk as the Gentiles do because this is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what it means to learn or to know Christ personally. So how does one learn Christ? Well, through the gospel. Well, then the next question is, well, what is the gospel? Mankind has utterly fallen from God in condemnation of sin through their willful rebellion due to the craftiness of the devil. Mankind is now lost, but God with his own purpose promised to save mankind and destroy the serpent through the Messiah. That man is Jesus, both fully God, fully human, born to the Virgin Mary. Jesus, through his life, lived perfectly. He lived in accordance to the law of God, sinless. He was untouched by the depravity of man and was fully connected to God the Father. He, being perfect, a spotless lamb for sacrifice, was obedient to the Father's will and gave himself up for execution on our behalf on a cross over 2,000 years ago. The penalty for sin was paid then through the shedding of Jesus' blood. On the third day after his death, he rose from the dead, confirming himself indeed to be the Messiah who is the resurrection and the life. He then ascended to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He left the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, has now been given to all those who believe as a guarantee of the inheritance of salvation. And God now offers all people the free gift of salvation that was bought with the blood of his son, Jesus. God caused all men everywhere to repent of the rebellious, sinful, godless life we now live and turn to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And all those who sincerely believe are given not only eternal life, but a brand new life, new creation that is given at the moment of salvation. This is what they learned the very gospel itself, which involves the good news of God saving mankind and redeeming and pulling them away from that old lifestyle. So it is completely contrary to go back to it. But he says, that is not the way you learn Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 21. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And he says this, assuming assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Pay attention here. He says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. He's kind of repeating the same thing about learning Christ, but he uses that word assuming or if indeed or in as much as. Paul is putting the the readers, the Ephesians, as well as us, he's putting us in a position with this statement. A position to verify that what was previously said is true. In other words, it's up to you and me personally to confirm that we have learned Christ. That you know him personally and have been saved. And so when he says, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
He knows that they heard the gospel. He was there. But there's also this testing that he's putting forth in the mind of his readers to think, readers to think wow, have I truly learned Christ? Am I truly saved? Have I really, really been saved from this past life and been given a new life that no longer walks that way? And so he puts us in a position where now we have to verify in our own hearts, is this true? Assuming you've heard about him, you were taught in him, and then he says this, as the truth is in Jesus. And I want to park here for just a little bit. As the truth is in Jesus. This is what everyone is looking for. This is what everyone's arguing over. You have your truth. I have my truth. Let's just live this life and do what feels good. This is the utter foundational depths of destruction is that thought. And to casually flippantly say, well, no one can know truth. So just live and according to what you think may be true is one of the worst ways to live on this planet. Because you and I come from somewhere. We, we physically are here on planet Earth that's hanging in nothing. And if we could rewind time and take a time machine and go all the way back to the beginning, we would see something. What is that? That's what I want to know about. I'm not, I am not satisfied with just taking something that works for me and living according to that. And Paul is making the point here that that truth the truth, what we all want to know, can only and is only found in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Notice the contrast as the truth is in Jesus. Everybody take your finger like this and point it at your head. Everybody, I want to say everyone do that, right? Because this is where we're going to come back to. This passage is covered with multiple references to the mind and knowledge and learning and being taught. Let's look back to last week. What did we learn about those who walk as the Gentiles do? Listen, they, they walk into the futility of their minds. Their minds have nothing there. There, there is wasteful pointlessness. There's no truth in there. It says they're darkened in their understanding. They have a truth. They have an understanding about the way things are, but they are utterly darkened and even understanding what's right and wrong. It says they are alienated from the life of God, but then it says this, they're ignorant. They lack knowledge. Every single one of us was this before Christ. If there indeed is a before Christ, And we're not still in this mindset. Ignorant. And then callous to both good and evil because the hardness of the heart. So they've been given up to to just the flesh and the ways of the world. But it's due to something that's missing in the mind. There's a knowledge that's missing. Well, the truth is missing. So he then says, but you have not learned Christ that way. Learned Christ that way. Your mind has been changed. And you were taught in him. You got knowledge. You got revelation. You got something that was so important. It completely changed the dead mind and heart that you had and completely changed you. Because you know that the truth is in Jesus. Listen to some of these verses. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, one of my favorite verses. Thank goodness Jesus is full of grace and truth. And then Jesus even prays 
for his disciples as well as us in John 17. And he prays, Jesus himself prays to the Father and he says, Father, sanctify them by your word. Knowledge. There's, a, there's God's word, which is a knowledge that is given to us. Not a knowledge that puffs up, but a knowledge that gives life. He says, sanctify them, set them apart. Make them your own people. By what? By your word. And he says, your word is truth. What we know and what we believe is foundational to who we are and what we do. I want everyone right now to turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, turn with me. This is very important because we're going to see, we're going to see this in action together as Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. John 8, drop down to verse 31. Gospel of John, we're going to turn to John 8, verse 31. I'm going to give you a little time to keep going, to get there. John chapter 8. Now look down at verse 31 with me. Jesus is speaking here. Please, everyone, with your eyes, move along with me because there's, there's some verses here, but I don't want us to miss this. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What's happening right here? Very key here. Please pay attention. Jesus is going to expose who they really are. It didn't matter who they thought they were. He's exposing who they really are. So Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I know that you're the offspring physically of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that he did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father and what he did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Look at this. Jesus is convincing them that they're not okay with God. But these people are, are convinced that they have the truth and they're good and everything is good between them and God. But Jesus is exposing this to him. Look at verse 42. He says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. He says, why do you not understand what I say? Because they're in the futility of their mind. They're darkened and they're understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. They're calloused. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, here it is. Whoever is of God, hears the word of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, everyone, look this way. Look this way. Jesus is exposing what was truly in their mind, what was truly in their heart, and where they stood positionally with God, regardless of what they thought. Didn't matter what they thought. Didn't matter how much at peace they were. Didn't matter how how good they were or what they thought they were doing. Jesus is revealing to them, you are not a child of God. Why? Because your lifestyle and what you're doing proves that you are not. If you were a child of God, you would love me. If you were a child of God, you would hear my word and accept my word. But you seek to kill me. The irony of that is I'm the God you are proclaiming to know. So if you knew God, you would know me. So your sense you're not listening to me, trying to kill me, you are not of your father, God, but of your father, the devil. And so we find ourselves now as we look back to Ephesians. The same type of thing is being placed towards every one of us to check ourselves, to look into our heart and see what's really there. Are we truly a child of God, assuming that you have heard of him, been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus? And God's children hear his word. His sheep come to him. What you do with God's word and what you do with Jesus is extremely important. And there's a deception that's going to happen in our heart that's going to convince us we're good if we're not. You know, sometimes every single one of us who's a believer, we doubt our salvation. And I think wrongly what we try to do is we think, I shouldn't doubt, so we try to stop doubting. When what we need to do is pay attention to the doubt and ask ourselves, why is the doubt there? We shouldn't doubt God's power. We shouldn't doubt that Jesus is Messiah. We shouldn't doubt the truth about Jesus. But it is natural and even sometimes necessary for us to doubt if we're good with God. And so instead of trying to get rid of the doubt, we should get on our knees and pray, what does this mean? It can mean one of several things. It can mean, one, we are not a child of God and being around God's word constantly, it's pricking our heart and the spirit is speaking at us to say, you've never surrendered to my word. I do not know you. You've been around church. You've done churchy things. You've gone to churchy events, but I never have known you. And so the spirit's pricking at your heart to turn to Jesus and to believe and to surrender your life to him. Or it could be as a believer, we're still allowing certain sins into our life that are tormenting us, which is leading us down a path of doubt. The book of 1 John is all about that. If we walk like a Gentile, then we are a Gentile. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And he also said a good tree cannot bear good fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Look at the next verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, turn back with me. He said, But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard of him, you've been taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And what is it that they learned at the moment of salvation? 
And here's where the passage changes a little bit. Here's where we need to pay attention because the wrong way of taking this passage is running to this next verse and saying, do this next verse we're going to read. Because here's what's not happening. Paul is not telling the Ephesians to do this verse. He's reminding them what happened when they were saved. So listen to what he says. Like, so let's, let's go back and read it in the context. He said, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard of him and have been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He still got them in a position where he's reminding them of what happened when they were saved. And what happened when they were saved, when they heard the gospel, they heard of repentance, that the path that they were on and the life that they were living was contrary and hostile to God. And and they needed to repent of that and to be baptized, to be saved and to give their life to Jesus. And it says to put off the old self. That's what you learned when you were saved. That's what happened when you were saved. You put your faith in Jesus and you believed that life became former and the old self was killed. The word put off can literally mean to be put in prison. It no longer exists. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you can't walk as a Gentile. You can't do it. You mustn't do it. They're like this. But the moment you believed, your mind was open. Your understanding came in. You you were made uh, given life from God. You were no longer ignorant. Your mind has been changed. And you put off the old self. That belongs to the former manner of life. It was corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul is not telling them. This is what I want us to not miss. He's not telling them to put off. Here he's reminding them that they already did. And so to put off the old self is to be saved. It's a one-time thing when the dead man is shed forever. You can't put the dead man back on. He's gone. Paul is reminding them that when they they learned Christ, were taught in him, they learned the truth, believed, and put off the old self. And Paul is reminding them that. If you have the old self on and you have to put him off, that means you are not saved. And so what needs to happen is you need to put the old man off through repentance and faith in Jesus. I know where your mind's going. We're going to get there. He says this. The old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. You see, he's talking in this past tense. He's talking, this is not here right now. He's talking about a a time in the past when something existed. And he says, this manner of life, the lifestyle, the behavior of the Gentiles, that belongs to that old self that you were and no longer are. It belongs over there, doesn't belong here. And what was wrong with this? What was wrong with this life? It says here, it was corrupt. Literally, the word means not only corrupt, but being corrupt. It means as the days go on, it gets worse and worse and decays more, spoils more and more and more. And as time goes on, it only gets more and more corrupt. It was corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. Everyone put their finger back on their head. When we were a Gentile, futile in our mind, alienated and darkened in our understanding, our mind was being corrupted because we had desires, things that we wanted to do that we were deceived by, just like in the garden. Hey, saw that it was good for food, and so they took and eat, and Satan was like, yeah, it's good, it's good. And their eyes like, oh, they were so deceived that this was good, and this was what would satisfy them. But the past 
is gone. It's former. And so it's impossible to go to things that satisfied us once that no longer do. Because we don't see it the same anymore. Listen to these other verses from Paul that um, parallel this. In Romans 6, 6, he said this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would may no, no longer be enslaved to sin. The old self was crucified. Colossians 3, 9, which is very similar to this whole passage, says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is something that has already happened. It's already happened. Former manner of lifestyle being corrupt through deceitful desires. This was something in the past. If you're saved, you've learned Christ. The old self does not exist. Now, do not misunderstand me. This does not mean that we don't have something to put off. doesn't mean that we don't have something in this flesh now to do to avoid sin. But what he's saying here is not to put off the old self because if you are saved, you've already done that. You need to be reminded that that's what happened. So the burning question is this. I know you guys are all asking, why then do we still sin? Because follow me around. I know I'm a Christian, but you just give it an hour. You'll see a bad thought, a bad word, or a bad action. You'll see something come up. So why does that still pop up and show up in my life if I've been made this new creation? If I've put off the old man, what's wrong here? Let me give you an illustration. Who here likes, um, there's a chip, it's, it used to be one of my favorite, uh, Takis. Anybody like Takis? Raise your hand. I know all the youth are raising their hands, right? It's, it's that little like tortilla-shaped chip that will literally turn your fingers fire red that you won't be able to golf for like seven weeks. You've got to use bleach to get them out of your fingers. And it will burn your mouth to death, but they are, oh, so good. You know what happened to me though? Like my, fa- I mean, I was, I was obsessed with these things. These things were like my favorite chip. I was constantly getting them, even though they were like the highest calorie chip on the planet. I got sick about half a year ago, like real sick, like, you know, throwing up sick. And do you know what I had ate that day when I got sick? <laughs> my favorite chip. And do you know what I can no longer eat today? Takis. Those chips, you're right. I can no longer eat Takis. But let me tell you something. You know what I keep doing? I keep buying them. (laughs) Why do I keep buying these chips that I now hate? Here's why. Because I can remember the pleasure that they brought before I was sick. I remember how good they felt and how good they tasted. And so I keep buying them, wanting to experience that satisfaction. But every time I open the bag and I take a bite of one or two, I end up throwing it away. You see, the memories and the remnants of the old self still exist. Because we're in this body, we remember the pleasures of sin. But the difference is, because he's been shed, when we go back to those things, there should be a sickness and and a disgust welling up in our heart when we start indulging in them again. And if there isn't, you have not put off the old self. The old self does not exist. But our bodies are still existing and dying, and our bodies are the problem. We sin because we live in this body of death. Paul said this in Romans 7. He said, so this is the principle I have discovered. What I want to do, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
for my inner being, I delight in the law of God. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. What a wretched man I am. There's the difference. Because of the new man, you now realize how sick and twisted your body is. And so you groan and you hate it. And like, and like Todd said, you're ready to be rid of it. That's a key, that's a key characteristic of a Christian. He said, who will rescue me from this body of death? But he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. My mind has been changed, but I still got this body that hasn't been redeemed. And the remnants of the old self and the memories still exist. If you're a believer, you will hate the manner of your old self, yet you will still love it in a manner. But not because you have a new man and an old man and they're fighting. It's because you live in a fleshly body that hasn't died yet. And you haven't been given a new tent or a new body. And so those desires you will still struggle with. But the key is you're not going to want to struggle with them. The key is you will struggle and you will hate it and you will fight against it. And you will find yourself falling on your knees begging God to help you. Verse 23, this is key. Ephesians 4, 23, go there with me. Come on, we gotta, we gotta work fast. Ephesians 23, he says this. He says, you, when you learn Christ, you put off the old self and you, you learn to do that and put it away, but you also learn to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed. This, this, um, this word, this verb is very key because what it has with it is this understanding that this is something that is current now and it keeps going forever. It's current now and it keeps going forever. But it also means this, the renewal action isn't something you do. This renewal action based off this verb is something that you receive. So the action of being renewed is something you receive. And he says here, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3, 9, we read it earlier. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the thing of the spirit. The mind of the flesh is death and the mind of the spirit is life and peace because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you, however, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. You see, Paul does this all the time where he, he encourages the Christian that, hey, God's done this in you, but then he challenges them if this is actually true. So we need to come to a place where we're testing ourselves. Is this true? He says, if God lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead. Yes, sinful because of sin, yet the spirit gives you life because of righteousness. If you're still struggling with sin, Christian, brother, sister, still struggling with sin, the key focus needs to be your mind. It is what God is renewing. It is the avenue in which God interrupts and invades to change the body. That's why it was so important for Paul to start with chapters one through three and beg God to open the hearts of their mind to understand these things because the understanding of these things would bring transformation. 
And so you will use this portion of scripture wrongly if you start sinning and you run to it and you say, I just got to put off the old self. I just got to put off the old self. No, you need to test your heart. Have I put off the old self? And if I have, I need to know that I am dead to sin. And once I remember what Christ has done for me, then I have through the spirit, the ability to put off sin, which Paul, Todd's going to talk about next week, but we're not there yet. Romans 6, 11 says this. You must also consider or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. The battles in the mind. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present yourself as members to sins as instruments of righteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. But it starts here. You must know that you have been delivered from the sins that are warring at your heart and the new man in you is perfect. The new man in you has all the knowledge and all the resources through the spirit to resist sin. But you have to know that first. Spend time in God's word and in prayer and your mind will be being renewed and you will see a change. Verse 24, last verse. Look at this with me. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you were taught in him and have heard of him as the truth is in Jesus. You being reminded that you put off the old self which belongs to the former man in our life, which was corrupt through deceitful desires and, and being renewed in the spirits of your mind. And you also learn to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness to put on the new self. That's Christ created after the likeness of God. God in the beginning made man in his image. Let us make man in our image and it is good. And at the fall, God's image was marred and corrupted and distorted. And through faith in Jesus, we get a new creation that has redeemed and brought back that image back to man, but only for those who have faith in Jesus, only for those who have been saved by the spirit and have the new creation dwelling in them. Your image has been restored to the likeness of God in Jesus Christ. And God has restored it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The dead man, he's gone. Old man, he's gone. And 2 Corinthians three eighteen says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of our Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And we know in Romans 8, that for who those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so the new creation that God has put in you is the life of Jesus himself, that he's working and renewing your mind every day and your manner of lifestyle is being transformed to look like Christ more and more every day, but it's a process. You won't be there perfectly until you die and you get a glorified body. And what Paul said in Romans 12, he wants us to be transformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he says this, in true righteousness and holiness, put your hand here, right here again. This is in contrast to when he talks about the former man of all life that was corrupt through deceitful desires. The new man has been given true righteousness and holiness, which, which means you know the way. You know what is truly good. You know what is truly right. You know what the truth is if you have been saved in Jesus. And that's who you are 
not who you're fighting to put on and, put and, and not let fall off. You are that. God made you that in the beginning. So to go back to anything that looks like that old lifestyle is to fall away from God's word and prayer and to allow your body to start reigning again. But you have within you the ability and the power through the Holy Spirit, not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone, to say no to that, to kill it. That's why Paul said, I beat my body daily. We're almost done. We're closing up. Just as the unbeliever is completely, completely bound and a slave to deceitful desires, the believer is completely and bound and a slave to true righteousness and holiness. Your position determines your lifestyle. And get this, your lifestyle reveals your position. Your lifestyle reveals your position. Now it's up to us to verify our position this morning. Have you indeed learned Christ? If you've learned Christ, your old self has been put away and you have that new self. If you're saying this morning, you're like, that's not me. There's never been a time in my life where like the pleasure of the world went away. Like I, and I don't even feel bad about it. I'm just numb. I'm callous. That's, that's the mindset of a Gentile. And maybe God's working on your heart right now to say it's time for me to put off the new, to repent and to put my faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive me and save me. And in that moment, in an instant, the spirit will dwell in you and make you a new creation. And it is glorious. And that is the only hope for any of us to escape sin. Jesus is the way. Let's pray. Father, with everything, as always, we can do nothing without you. And so God, I pray that in this moment, as we've heard your word, that you would renew our mind, you would, you would fashion it to maybe understanding we're lacking and you would change us if we're not changed. And if, and if God were being beaten up by sin, you would help us to understand in our minds that we're dead to sin, to get rid of the lie that we've been telling ourselves and the enemy's been telling ourselves, to see ourselves as a new creation that we are and to shed the former manner of life, which is opposed to you and completely opposed to the gospel. But God, thank you that we don't do this in our own strength at all. We do it because of the working power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in us as he's with us. And God, as you never leave us or forsake us, thank you for all you do. And God, work this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.